Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the new OPG Platinum Hockey Card Set. We're going to talk about what I'm calling the stupid era of card collecting because we've officially entered the stupid era of card collecting. But we're going to start with some NHL news because we haven't talked just hockey. Anyway, so that's the plan for this show. Tim, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm wonderful. Just, you know, preparing for the uh, impending doom of having to move all the furniture in my house for all the new carpeting we're about to get. All the new carpeting because you had the you had the great flood of 2021 earlier this year. Yeah, so all of my cards are currently removed from my uh, card garage here, and they're placed in another area of the house. And uh, I've had people over the last few days asking me for, "Hey, do you have this card? Do you have that card? Can you trade this? Do you want to do that? I have these." And I'm like, uh. Yeah, hit me up in about a month. <laughs> now, when you say card garage, you're actually referring to like a spare bedroom. Yes. Folks that may know the background behind that is I bought a gigantic monster collection back in 2000. What was that? 2008, 2009, maybe? It was around the time we started talking. And I started Puck Junk in 2007. And I think we started talking in 2009. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't long after that, but um, needless to say, I didn't have the room for it in the house, so everything was out in the garage. So it became known as the card garage, and there was just, I I mean, there was three quarters of a million cards in that full collection. It was it was massive, and so I started, you know, talking about it and and not tweeting about it yet, but uh, I had a blog about it and all that kind of good stuff, but. It's long gone since then, but I call the uh, my storage space in my collection area my card garage now. So even though the card garage collection is gone, the spirit of the card garage still lives on. Oh yeah, because I've you know pretty much replaced. I shouldn't say replaced. I don't have that many, but I have a lot. And you know when I got that collection, my my whole intention was I'm going to flip this back before flipping was cool, and uh, it didn't work out too well because there's a lot of work involved with doing that and research and everything else and i'm lazy so that's pretty much how that works selling stuff is work and buying and selling stuff is work and that's why i always get a little i don't want to say bitter but a little salty when people will approach me sometimes and they'll have a box of cards and they'll tell me what they want for it and i'll basically say to them as nice as i can look you're asking for top dollar but i'm the one who's going to have to put in all the work on this you know what i mean it's like They'll always say, well, if you part it out, you'll make that. It's like, well, if I part it out, I'm doing all the work to make that. And I mean, and especially when you have boxes upon boxes upon boxes of commons or junk wax era stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it becomes extremely tedious. And those are the types of things that you just want to sell in one bulk fail swoop. But everybody's like you. Like, they don't want that stuff either. Yeah, and most of the collection that I bought, to be honest with you, the the bulk of it, I I would say it was 10% hockey and 90% everything else. It was mostly basketball and baseball. 
and then football. So, but that went away. It got moved from a garage to another garage to a storage facility to a house, and then it was it was parted with. I couldn't get rid of that fast enough with the vast majority of it. But I pretty much took all the took all the good stuff that I could salvage out of it and especially all the hockey I kept for myself what what well, little was in there but yeah so you know this is now my card gar- I guess you could call it card garage part two but it's not oh. really a garage it's a room in the house that has an extended walk-in closet that's considerably large all right let's talk some hockey news so uh our buddy our favorite Brad Marchand Suspended for slew footing Oliver Ekman Larson. Got three games for that. Good. His explanation for it was that he's a small guy and he's going to have leverage on anybody that's bigger than him. And since OEL is considerably larger than he is, no matter what he does in order to try to get into a player, he's going to essentially be given away the leverage because he's the smaller player. So him going into him and swinging forward you know he didn't think anything of it at the time and it wasn't even called a penalty not in his defense but using that phrase it wasn't called a penalty on the ice but clearly when you look at it back on the replay and he mentions well you can go frame by frame and do this and do that you don't have to go frame by frame you can watch it in real time and you can watch the whole entire thing and you know slow down he sends the lower body. He pushes the guy's skates out from underneath him. And then the follow through is the upper body and pushing him downward. And that's truly what the problem with the slew foot is. And, you know, a lot of people are saying the punishment isn't fair because, you know, we have affectionately known as PK Sluban now um, because of all of his issues this year. I think he's been called out on at least two, possibly three of them. There's a rash of these. I remember hearing about Slewfoot penalties being called here and there over the years. But this year seems like there's a rash of them. Like you're hearing a lot more of it. And I don't know if it's just a bigger crackdown on it or what. But, you know, that seems to be where we're where we're at in the whole thing. So, you know, he gets three games for this. Does he deserve the three games? Probably. He also forfeits his salary, too. For those games, so that's like ninety, ninety-one, ninety-two thousand dollars, I think. Yeah. Okay. Totally worth three games, maybe, maybe more. And you're absolutely right. So you do see him. Yeah, he does kick one foot, and then he uses his arm to lift Ekman Larson's leg up, and he like turns and he does it. Now, it happened really fast. You could see how a referee would overlook that. Maybe there are four sets of eyes on the ice, but. Look, it happens. Sometimes things get overlooked. I mean, that's why we have instant replay. That's why we have video review. That's why players have hearings and, and all these other things, right? When when there's something questionable that happens. These are highly trained athletes who have incredible control over their bodies, okay? The things that they can do with their skates, with their sticks, with their arms, with their legs, everything, right? They, sure. they have control, right? They, they didn't just they didn't just kind of flub their way into the NHL, right? No, but, you know, sometimes you lose control. It, okay, yeah, sometimes you do wipe out. We've seen a player wipe out, blow a tire, as they say, and maybe fall and slide and knock down another player. That's not intentional, right? That Stuff like that happens. 
this is him getting aggressive. And yeah, he did kick his foot and then he flailed his arm to like flip his leg. That's a dangerous play. That's a reckless play. And I remember um, I was watching Ken Reed on Sportsnet and he calculated that Marchand has forfeited almost a million dollars in salary from all his suspensions. So, yeah, if you go back to his rookie year, I think what this is sixth or seventh now? Something like that. Yeah, and he had other slew footing suspensions as well. I noticed they showed it on the uh, uh, on NHL Network as well, and I, I thought it was interesting that there were a couple elbowing calls on there. And uh, my wife saw the thing come up. We were watching some of the highlights, and she's like, elbowing? That's a penalty? And I said, yeah, you can't elbow somebody like in the face. So the problem when Marshawn, all those people, he's hitting them in the groin. Because he's he such like, a short player. Yeah, and, you know, I like, mean, yeah, he's got the. Probably, right. But yeah, I mean, here's the thing we know what Marshawn is, and he's got the reputation, and he's a pest, and he's that kind of player, but he's a good player. I mean, he's an offensive player, and he puts up a lot of points, and he's arguably one of the best players on the Bruins and has been for, for years. And it's like any other team would want a player like this. The problem is he's always played so far and close to the edge that it's like you do something like this, knowing that there's a target on your back. I mean, what good does that do? It's kind of a selfish move on your part because you know you're going to hamper your team. You're more valuable to your team on the ice. You're not a third line, fourth line grinder type guy that you know can go out there and muck it up and hopefully draw a penalty or two. That's not your job. Your job is to score and win games. So putting yourself in a position like that, and that's been the criticism on him and the dig, is, yeah, he plays rough and aggressive and people like that, and any team in the league would want him on it. But at the same time, when you do mess up, it's going to cost your team. Let me ask you this. Is Marchand more likely to answer the call or turtle when the gloves come off? Because I don't really remember him ever really fighting. I've seen him take punches and give them just the same so okay he's definitely not one of those guys that's gonna rack up the fights well but do you remember how sean avery would start shit and then he would never back it up he'd start things with other players and then when they would drop the gloves he'd like turtle and if you're gonna do something like that you you need to like they call it answer the call or answer the bell or whatever and i'm not one of these people who's gonna like say oh fighting needs to be the way it was i mean no, no, I get it. Just to just to like piggyback on what you said, when you're five foot nine and 181 pounds, and there's a bunch of bruising, grown men flying around at 100 miles an hour on the ice, what do you think you're going to be able to do? I mean, he is the small guy, so he does get scrappy. So I pulled up the uh, the Bible of hockey fights, and mm-hmm. that is hockeyfights.com, and 11 NHL fights for Marchand. In his in his NHL career, he's had eleven recorded fights, three in the AHL and five in the Q. His first fight in the NHL was in the ten eleven season. So the point is, is that uh, so yeah, he's he, not a he, big fighter. Let's put right. it that way. But I mean, if you start shit, you gotta back it up. That's all I'm saying. Either that, or be able to run and hide behind a guy on your team that can't. You slash so. somebody in the back of the ankles, you 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 should be ready to fight sure. if it Absolutely. comes to that. You know. Absolutely. Um, Otherwise, you're just a fake tough guy. Absolutely. 
You know, and it's too bad because, like you said, he has all the talent. You know, here's another thing, too, and, and I guess this makes the case for why we need to have more enforcers in the NHL. I think about all the reckless shit that Claude Lemieux did back in the 90s. But every team had a Darren McCarthy to to straighten him out. Claude Lemieux was a great player. I mean, he won in, he won the, the Conn Smythe Trophy as MVP. Uh, I mean, he won... Um, Back-to-back cups, I remember. I mean, well, he's run, won multiple cups. He won with Montreal. He won with New Jersey. He won with Colorado. I mean, he was an effective player. He was an effective agitator. But everybody um, hated him. Everybody hated him. And many still do. And now they're starting to hate his kids. Oh, yeah. Is that his kid? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. The great, perfect segue then. Yeah, so, it is. That's why I was thought. I thought that's what you were doing by bringing him up. <laughs> no, you know, I mean, there's a there. Lemieux was one of those names that's common enough that you can't assume that everybody named Lemieux is related. Although, right, everybody assumes they're related, related to Mario, and none of them are. Okay, I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna segue to a quick story here. I remember. So I think it was like 89-90 season. I remember my sister and I were having breakfast, and my aunt poked her head in the dining room. And she said, well, the Blackhawks just acquired Lemieux. And my sister looked up and said, Mario. And I looked up and said, Claude. And then my aunt said, Jocelyn. And my sister and I looked at each other and we said, Jocelyn? Who the hell is Jocelyn Lemieux? Who's she? Yeah. How many Lemieux's are there in the league at the same time? Claude Lemieux was another one who would, like, do something egregious and then turtle. And that's the other thing, too. Like Mark Shand, he was a talented player and good at getting other players off their game, but he just went over that line. And not even right. like a foot over the line, like way over the line. So, okay, so his kid, the apple in the tree. Yeah, so it just came down like right as we started recording that uh, Brendan Lemieux's punishment is going to be Five games. Now let's give some backstory to this. So uh, Brady Kachuk, talk about another apple not falling far from the tree. Brady Kachuk of the Ottawa Senators and Brendan Lemieux of the LA Kings were in an altercation. They were fighting. They were. It was, it was a little scrap. Well, I mean, they ended up on the ice. Yep. And in a pile. Kachuk claimed that Lemieux bit his hand. Not once, but twice. Twice. Yes, in the pile. I think there was only like six minutes left in the third period of that game. They they won four to two in the game. Mm-hmm. Lemieux got a match penalty. So he got a roughing and a match mm-hmm. penalty. They didn't get a fighting penalty. So it wasn't like full on drop the gloves, punch each other until we fall on the ice. It was they just got together and it was just a lot of scuffling and then they went down into a pile on the ice and then the refs were trying to pull them apart. But if you watch the video, you can see Brendan on top of Brady, just like thrash kind of thrashing around mm-hmm. and you, you see Brady like trying to push him off, but it's kind of obscured a little bit by the referee. Yes. So then you see Brady yank his hand away. And as they, they pull Brendan Lemieux off, he's holding his hand up. And he's like yelling, and you can see blood on the side of his hand as he gets up and he starts screaming at the ref that the guy bit him. And I guess it, he said later that it happened like twice in the pile, and he was fired up, especially after the game. And I don't know if you saw the interview afterward, but the quote, I got to read this because sure. 
Kachuk's quote was, because he got asked about it, and he says, this is the one time I'm going to answer this. It was the most gutless thing somebody could ever do. This guy, and you can ask any one of his teammates, nobody ever wants to play with him. This guy is a bad guy, a bad teammate, focuses on himself all the time. The guy's just a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. He's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL, but no other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke. I can't even wrap my head around it. People don't even do this. He's just a bad guy. It's outrageous. Kids don't even do that to each other anymore. Babies don't do that. I don't know what he was thinking. He's a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Bad guy, bad player. What a joke he is. Can you imagine that? It's just You just go off and you just say that in public forum these days. Like I, I picture guys saying this stuff like in the old days, but hockey players generally like keep things low key and don't get crazy. Mm-hmm. He was ticked. And, of course, later on, you know, of course, everybody turns to his brother and they're like, Matt, what do you think about what happened? He's like, well, he's not wrong. That was basically his comment. Right. So now you've got this rekindled hatred between the Kachucks and the Lemieux that that dates back to the day when both of their dads played against each other. Yeah, so now it's the whole thing's rekindled. So whether he bit him or he didn't bite him, whatever – it's pretty clear that he bit him. And, you know, he had an in-person hearing, and usually that means six games for the most part, but looks like he got five. So so I will say this, because I, I watched that fight a few times just to really get just, you know, a good look at it. Now, I'm not in any way, shape, or form justifying uh, what uh, Lemieux did. But the one thing that I thought that Brady Kachuk did, because we know that Brady Kachuk fights. I mean, he led the league in fighting majors last year which says a lot. Here's the thing that I did not like that Kachuk did. So I don't think he's, did he deserve to get bitten? Not at all. Never, ever, ever. But this is the thing that I thought that he did that was kind of shitty. The referees were pulling Brendan Lemieux off of him. And they had, they kind of had his arms tied up a little bit. And Kachuk is on the ice and you see him throwing punches upwards and hitting Lemieux. Now, I understand that you're mad, and if somebody's hitting you, you're hitting them back. But you need to have a little bit of restraint. And that's easy for me to say because I'm not in the fray. To me, that that seemed kind of like not a very good thing for him to do. Like, oh, okay, well, you're tied up now, so I'm just going to punch up at you because the referees are pulling you off of me. You should always protect yourself. And I think maybe somebody who wasn't as much of a hothead, you know, the other guy's getting pulled off of you. Okay, yeah, maybe you get in a cheap shot, but you definitely want to protect yourself, you know, cover your face. You know, just because the other guy is 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 being grabbed by the refs doesn't mean that he's still not a threat. But it, it's kind of like he was like, well, cool, you're tied up, so now I'm going I'm gonna to punch you. Yeah. Well, it was interesting, like, after the biting thing, I'm like, you know— wonder what the precedent is for players biting each other. So I, of course, went searching on my internet machine and found that uh, back in 1986, Papa was accused of biting. And uh, he he bit down on the finger of uh, Jim Poplinski uh, while they were in a, in a fight. And... Uh, 
I guess there it was like a big brawl um, between the Flames and uh, the Canadians. The, yeah, and I think it was Game Four of the Stanley Cup Finals. Huge line brawl. I think there were 122 penalty minutes handed out in the whole thing, and there was a big fight, and Lemieux and Poplinski were going at it, and uh, he said that he even showed the referee that he bit bit my hand. And he's got his bloody finger and everything, and afterward he said that, I don't know if I bit down on him, but I, bro- I think I broke a tooth, but anything can happen when you're fighting. I might have bit his stick. I don't know, and that was kind of what he said. But like there's tons of penalties and everything else. But I saw players anywhere from like Chris Chelios and Eric Lindros got accused of biting Marty McSorley. Although McSorley said later that that didn't happen. Dave Manson a couple times. Uh, Mark Savard got suspended for biting um, Darcy Tucker, but that was through his glove. Wow. Okay. Well, see, that's the, that's the other thing too with all this. Okay. To go back to Marchand, he licked somebody. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, that's always been like the talk. Oh, you like somebody. Look, the human mouth is gross. Yes. It's gross and disgusting. You know, they say that it's dirtier than a dog's mouth. A human mouth is worse because you have all sorts of things happening. You have gases coming up out of your stomach and all sorts of the saliva and everything that's happening. And, you know, crap in your teeth from the food you ate. It's like rotting in your mouth and just all this kind of, it's gross. And a ton of these if you go through all of the history of biting in the NHL, a ton of them resulted in the player that got bit, not the uh, biter, but the bitee having to get a tetanus shot. Wow. I mean, it, it's happened time and time again. So it's gross. It's just gross. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. So anyways, moving on, Artemi Panarin fined five grand for throwing his glove. Yeah, again, the Marshawn thing again. Earlier in the week, last week, on the bench, Panarin chucked his glove at him, like from the bench. And they were jawing with each other and stuff, and Panarin takes off his glove and just launched and throws it at him. Well, he claimed later on that he was seeing a lot of, what do you call it, anti-Russian things Mm -hmm. to him, and that's what ticked him off. So... I don't know. But again, here's Marshawn being a pest, getting under people's skin. And he was involved in that, too. I wonder if that had anything to do with the three games. Maybe it was going to be two, but here's, they're like, yeah, you just, you're going to sit an extra game. No, I, I don't think so. If he said something that was really offensive, they would have investigated it a little bit further. Now, how about Rod Brindamore getting fined $25,000? Man, just everyone's getting fined this week and last week. Brindamore was ticked off about the officiating again. I mean, he's been very vocal about that since his tenure started with the Canes. But uh, he lost it on the bench if you watch that game. He was going off because it was later in the period. They were already down a man, Sebastian Ajo. Karate chopped a guy, busted his stick. I mean, it was a, it was a slash. They called it. Apparently, he was ticked because the player he slashed was like selling the drama and asking for the penalty, and it, it wasn't called, I guess, timely. And it made it look like it does in the NFL, where the receivers are always calling for pi, and you know the referee throws the flag way late. 
Mm-hmm. And you think it was because the player begged for it, and so the referee gave it to him. So that's that's what his big thing was, and I think he apologized for his outburst and everything. But I mean, what are you? What else are you gonna do? I mean, you kind of have to apologize. But I mean, he was he was livid, and so he got fined for essentially unsportsmanlike conduct. But now he got fined for stuff that he did on the bench and not anything in a post game conference, right? No, because by then he had already cooled off. The game was over. They lost. The Capitals ended up scoring on that five on three. I think Orloff scored, and they won the game. And you know that was the end of it. But he on the bench, he was he was all sorts of fired up. So the reason why I asked that is because I watched that clip, and it didn't seem that bad. I didn't hear what he said. I saw him mouthing words, and he was racing up and down the bench, and he was angry but again you got to remember i grew up during the mike keenan era in chicago and that's nothing compared to like what i saw or even like even more recent like think of like john tortorella from like a year or two ago like sometimes or sometimes he'd say something in a post-game conference that would get him fined or get him in trouble this seemed tame compared to that this seemed like a coach upset by a call that he thought shouldn't have been made that put his team at a severe disadvantage and it wasn't like he said the referees are garbage or maybe he did. I don't I mean, I didn't hear what he said, but it's not like in a post game presser when like Tortorella would say something and you'd be like, OK, we know you. <laughs> how many games and or uh, thousands of dollars are you going to get fined for this? Yeah. And you don't really know what he said because I, I highly doubt he was mic'd up on the bench. And the other thing, too, is you don't have an ISO cam on him, so you didn't watch the whole entire thing. So it's right. like you see him you see him ticked. They cut away to the ice and what's going on the ice. They pan back. He's still yelling and screaming. They go to the replay to show what happened. Meanwhile, he's still yelling and screaming throughout the entire thing. And then the next thing you know, the camera's back on him, and he's standing there, and the referee's over there, like, talking to him. And, you know, so then you have that. So you don't know anything that was said so who knows what it could have been he could have been calling the ref's mother everything under the sun (laughs) we don't know yeah that's true and the nhl is very vague about they just said for his conduct yeah they're they're not going to give you all the details of all of it i mean it might come out later you might get a player spill the beans and say what he said or he may even come out and say what he said later on but you know the same thing you you remember he was i think it was march of last march of last season he he got fired for something then too so I mean, he's been very vocal about that kind of stuff. And he's not the only coach that gets upset and mad and everything. But when you start throwing out yo mama jokes, then you, you get busted. So I like seeing those little tirades every now and then. Oh, for sure. Uh, it, ma- it makes for musty TV. Okay. Well, speaking of TV, uh, Evander Kane's life over this past six months really feels like one of those reality TV shows. I mean, let's back it up a little bit. His now estranged wife was accusing him of betting on NHL games, betting on Sharks games that he was playing in. The NHL investigated that, found no wrongdoing there, no evidence of him gambling on NHL games, you know, and then her faking her own pregnancy and then him faking a vaccine card. <laughs> well, don't forget the allegations of domestic abuse, which nobody can prove or substantiate that she said. There was that too. And that's just one thing in a, in a myriad of things that had gone on with, 
with Evander Kane. And, you know, let, let's put it this way. A lot of people like Evander Kane, especially the people that are fans of the teams that he's played for over mm-hmm. the years. But he doesn't have a lot of friends that I know of. Right. I mean, some guys will vouch for him, and some guys think he's cool and everything else, and, and that's great. And he's a good player. I mean, he really is a good player. And it's a shame that all this kind of stuff gets thrown out there, whether he's doing it or whether he's not. The fact is he's in a position where the allegations and the suspicion are there. And when that's there, I mean, there's no smoke without a fire, right? Right. So he was already suspended 21 games without pay for violating the COVID protocol. He's vaccinated, though. This is a part I don't understand. He's vaccinated, but he faked a vaccine card. Well, now he's vaccinated. He had 21 games to get his vaccine. Also, oh, it was somewhere in between there that that happened? I think if you fake a vaccination card, they give you one when you get vaccinated. You got one, right? I mean, yeah, but it's like if I was good at Photoshop, I could make you one right now. Well, but he wasn't very good at Photoshop, apparently. Yeah, I guess, because he got caught. Well... Well, needless to say, I mean, it was up in the air what the Sharks were going to do with him. And I guess they decided to put him on waivers and send him to the AHL. So they sent him down to the Barracudas. He cleared waivers. Nobody picked him up. I guess he reported, too. And his agent basically said he's going to be back in the NHL at some point this year. Kane makes $7 million a year. And the Sharks said that they'd be willing to retain some of that salary if somebody picked him up. Yeah. It's just a shame when you have that kind of talent. I mean, you're one of the best in the best in the world at what you do. So you make the NHL and you've got talent. You can contribute. You can score goals. You can chip in. I mean, you're you're a good player, but I don't know. You just you got that shadow that's following you. Well, I mean, the NHL's been pretty good about second chances. Yeah. You know, I think if, I mean, you think about how the Rangers gave Sean Avery a second chance years ago, not to bring up Sean Avery again, um, I'd really rather not, but, you know, just think of like players who do lousy things, but can bounce back from that. And he did somewhat. Yeah, that's not, again, that's not the world we live in anymore. The world we live in is cancel this person and wipe them off the face of the planet. So... I don't have an opinion one way or another, but like I said, he's a talented player, and I think he, from a hockey standpoint, I'd rather see him play hockey. Yes. Whether or not he's a garbage person, I don't know, because I don't know him. So, no. But So I can't really, can't really say one way or another. But. Well, I remember they had to trade him out of Winnipeg because he kind of wore out his welcome there, and the team kind of turned on him. Sure. Another notable player put on waivers, uh, Matt Murray, goaltender for the Ottawa Senators. Oh, how Um, the mighty have fallen. Well, I mean, from what I understand, this is just something to help Murray get his confidence back because he hasn't been playing well. The Senators haven't been playing well. They had some games postponed because of COVID. He hasn't had necessarily the best team in front of him for many of those games. So, Yeah, COVID injuries. He hasn't won a game all year. He's only played in six. He's 0-5-1. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, maybe he'll get his confidence back and be back up in no time. Who knows? But uh, a lot of the press uh, and the reporters and and stuff like that have even noted that, you know, he's not the same Matt Murray that was in Pittsburgh. Not quite the same personality as Flurry, but they said that they used to say that Matt Murray was genuinely a really nice guy. 
and since being in Ottawa, they noticed a change. So I don't know. It's a shame. I mean, two-time Stanley Cup winner. Like I said, oh how the mighty have fallen and and fallen fairly quickly. But well, I again, think it says a I lot think, about Ottawa too. Well, yeah, that, that's it. I think it goes more to your point is while Ottawa is a team that's that's building and getting better with a lot of their young talent that they have, it's definitely not there. So it makes it rough, rough on him. But uh, speaking of the Penguins, did you see the Penguins got sold? Yeah. What do you think about yeah. that as a Penguins fan? When I first heard about it was recently because they've kept this pretty hush-hush, I think, they overall. Have, yeah. Some people have known about it. But I think overall, this has been kept in a pocket. Well, you have to go. When there's known. a sale, you, you you can't. I mean, I guess it just depends if it's like a public sale or a private sale. Sure. Private and I got that. And, you know, it harkens back to the all the previous times where the Penguins have potentially been sold. Um, and the threats of moving the team and, you know, folding the team and all this kind of stuff. And it just brought back, like, all of those memories of, of all of those times. I mean, think about the the background here, and most people know this, so I probably don't even have to even bring it up, but, you know, two years after Lemieux announced his retirement and he was owed, like, $32 million in deferred salary, so he converted the vast majority of that into equity ownership of the team. So he became the first player in any North American sport to actually own the team that he played for. And... You know, that was it was like a huge thing back then. And so, you know, fast forward, he's owned the team and been part of the ownership group that's kept the team in Pittsburgh and essentially saved the team. You know, Lemieux has saved that team more in more ways than one numerous yeah. times. Yeah. And it's like, you know, hearing this, I was kind of scared. But to really go back and look at it, it's an equity thing. It's It's really an equity thing and a cash thing to try to keep the team afloat. I mean, let's face it, the Penguins, despite all the Stanley Cups and having one of the greatest players in the world playing for them, they're not the most rich team mm-hmm. um, out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, you know, and, and gate receipts and things like that. I mean, if you look at overall where the bulk of your money is coming from for revenue, it's from TV revenue. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NHL relies a lot on that. But the way the NHL has bungled their TV contracts over the years and, and stuff, it's kind of like, well, where else can we get the revenue and, and gate sales for tickets and everything? If you look at the list of top ticket prices for games, the Penguins aren't, I don't think they're even in the top 10. Mm-hmm. You know, so this was, you know, this was something, and I think it might be good for the team. Um, just to give a background, uh, Fenway Sports Group is who purchased the team. I, I, should have said that at the beginning, but FSG is going to get controlling interest in the team. Um, and for those that might think they recognize that name, they're the same group that owns the Boston Red Sox. Uh, they own um, the soccer team, Liverpool, or I mm-hmm. guess English Premier League team, Liverpool. Uh, they own Roush Fenway Racing, uh, which is the NASCAR group that owns multiple racing cars and has multiple nascar drivers under their under their umbrella mm-hmm. uh they own fenway park where the red sox play oh and you know most people are, are gonna love the fact that lebron james is one of their uh, investor partners as well so now lebron james 
kind of owns the penguins i guess in a roundabout kind of way but the thing that i really liked about it is the fact that they're keeping mario on along with ron burkle good so lemieux is going to be part of the ownership group that's taking over and burkle will also be part of that group so they're staying on which was great for management and the players and everything else which means nothing's really going to change from that standpoint so you know it could be good i mean it's a it's a new new direction and we'll see how it goes but uh like i said it was it was flashbacks to that time because you know when lemieux took over the team you know here's a player that you know won a cup as a penguin you know guy gets inducted into the hockey hall of fame in 97 and you know comes back as a player a couple years later you know guy has cancer um all the back problems and the injuries and all of that kind of stuff and it's like now he owns the team it's i mean it's it's one of those stories it's like a redemption story it's like fall and rise and fall and rise it's like a ship on the waves you know this guy's career and everything else and i mean it's just crazy but yeah so the penguins have been sold so there you go let's talk about the canadians before i move on to hockey cards so uh so uh, general manager mark bergevin was fired assistant general manager trevor timmons was fired the other assistant general manager, Scott Mellonby, was not fired, but he resigned. Yeah, he, he presumably he because he wasn't going to get the GM job. I think he resigned because he was probably knew he was going to get fired too. <laughs> it's easier to walk out on your own terms than it is to let them can you, I guess. Perhaps, but if they can you, a lot of times you still get paid. So yeah, maybe I don't know what the rules are in Canada about unemployment. Well, I mean, it, for coaches, if you sign a five-year coaching contract and you get fired after two years, you're still guaranteed you still those last paid. three years. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. But anyway, so Montreal is in a bit of a uh, bit of a whirlwind right now. They're looking to rebuild. They brought on um, Jeff Gorton as uh, team president, and they basically who was recently said, fired also by his former team. Well, a lot of these guys just get passed around. He's kind of the architect for the direction that the Rangers are going. Right. Because of their, their rebuild and bringing in a lot of the younger guys and everything and starting with, starting with that kind of development. And so now Montreal brings him on. Maybe he can do the same thing for them. So one thing that they said is that they wanted a general manager that is bilingual. Well, they always want that. That's the rub, right? They, well, there's so many GMs and head coaches and everything else that could be great, but won't get a shot. Because if you don't speak French, you're not going to Montreal. So somebody suggested this, and I'm sure a lot of people have suggested this, but I saw this suggested by someone on Twitter. Don't remember who. Probably wasn't an original idea, and probably a lot of people thought about this. But they said it should be Patrick Waugh. Patrick Waugh should be the next GM. And yeah, the more I, I, I think about it, the more I think about it, the more it makes complete sense. Okay, Patrick Waugh is French-Canadian. Okay, so he's French-Canadian. He's bilingual. He played for the Canadians. He led them to two Stanley Cups. He has worked as an NHL head coach. He owns a junior team, and he was a longtime coach of that junior team. He's owned a team. He's, you know, was like coach and GM of a junior team. He was coach of the Colorado Avalanche. It checks all the boxes. It checks 
all of the boxes. It makes too much sense. He I was can't a goalie. Be- so what? <laughs> I know Hextall was a goalie, and he's in Pittsburgh. But I, goalies uh, are underrated when it comes to management positions. You think so? I I know so. What about the whole? You know what kind of crackpots a goalie? What about that whole whole phrase? Yeah, that's so fifty five, sixty years ago. You think Montreal really wants that deep down? I mean, they suffered the pain of having Patrick Waugh there and having him, quote unquote, desert the team. You what in '96? Yeah, you think they want to go through that again? That doesn't count. That doesn't count. Oh, wounds run deep. Trust me, especially in with the, with Canadians. You don't embarrass your best player like they did. I don't disagree, but I mean, oh, it'd be interesting. Definitely interesting to see him back. You know, back in the fold. When it comes he, to that kind of stuff, he he's respected. He knows the business aspect because, like I said, he's owned a team, he's managed a team, he's coached at different levels. I I can't think of a reason to not have him. I saw something just like you said. I saw Patrick Waugh's name thrown around. I saw Bobby Lou's name thrown around. I don't know what his interest is in moving into a position like that, but. I've heard people bring up Danny Briere, but the interesting one that I heard bounced around the other day was Danielle Goyette. And I thought mm. that was an interesting mm. choice. You know, I mean, here you're talking multiple Olympic gold medals, hockey like eight, hall of fame, yeah, hockey hall of fame, like eight world championships. She was like Canada's flag bearer at the Olympics when they were in Turin. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she's got, a heck of a resume on her. She's got coaching experience. She's got management experience. I just thought it was interesting. They would definitely break some ground because she'd be the first female GM. In any sport, really. Definitely in the NHL. Well, yeah, obviously. I, don't, I can't NHL. think of I can't think of a in North GM America, in I sport. mean. Sure. So I don't know. I just heard that. I thought that was an interesting that that would have been an interesting pick. They want to bring a lot more eyeballs onto Montreal and the Montreal brand of hockey. What a way to do it. I mean, yeah, sure. It'd be played off as a publicity stunt, but I don't know. She might not be bad. But, yeah, the Patrick Waugh thing's interesting. I don't know who would fit there because just like any Canadian market, like like it is in Toronto, the microscope's on you. Montreal, the microscope's on you. You got to have thick skin. Mm-hmm. And you got to be willing to basically knock down every wall you can to build this team into a winner as quick as possible because I don't think people are willing to tolerate mediocrity. Well, if they hire Patrick Waugh as GM and he doesn't like what they're saying, he can just use the Stanley Cup rings to plug his ears. As he's known to do. Yes. Let's talk cards. Before we get into OPG Platinum, I want to talk about what I'm calling the stupid era of card collecting. Sure. Okay, I'm on Facebook more than I want to be on Facebook. It seems like every third post I see on Facebook is a sponsored ad for some card-related product that, A, I didn't know existed until now. Thank you, Targeted Advertising, for knowing that I'm a card person. And, B, for some product that I didn't even think was really necessary to begin with. 
So let me just give you guys some examples. I don't remember the brand names of most of these, nor do I really necessarily want to endorse them. And also, if I make fun of them, I don't want to attach your name to them. That was a very good disclaimer. Thank you. I try to be very good, um, mm -hmm. if not great, but I do okay. I saw one company, they were selling pieces of cardboard that were pre-cut to for you to sandwich a card in a top loader in. So you put the card in the penny sleeping top loader, but then instead of like looking around your house and finding some cardboard or cutting up a box, these are pieces of cardboard that are already pre-cut. So all you need to do is put one here, one here, put the card in the middle and then tape it. And I'm looking at this and I did the math because I was going to say, okay, how much if I buy a hundred of these? And it's like, it cost me like 20 cents. And I'm thinking, okay, so every time I ship a card, it's going to cost me 20 more cents. And I still got to pay for my own tape. So it was really just a company selling cardboard, but it was pre-cut in the right size for you. What the freaking do, right? Another company, they were like, next time you mail your cards, mail them in style. And they were like these, they were like these cardboard boxes. They had like foam. The foam was cut so that you could put a stack of cards and top loaders into this foam. And then it had like a little, um, it was almost like a gatefold. Like if you think of like a, almost like a book or something that you'd use to like put your cards in. You ever see where like in the movies where they like pull a book off of a bookshelf and it's like a thick book and then they cut out like the middle there's of the pages and they stash their drugs or money or whatever in there. That's kind of like what it was. But there's a cards. pistol in the middle of the Bible. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then I was like, okay, well, these, you, you buy five of them and they're $5 or it was like five for 20. So that's like $4 each. But then I go, okay, well, do you just do that? Like if you're mailing cards to a friend, like if I say, hey, I'm going to send you these cards and I put it in this special padded box, I'll just call it. And I send it to you. Are you going to send it back to me empty? Or are you going to send it back to me with some cards? Like, do I really want to spend an extra $4? Card collectors are cheap until you're like paying like Vegas Dave money for, you know, million dollar baseball cards. We're cheap. Okay. That's a name We're, I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. I'll, I'll try not to say it. like Sean Avery. I'll try not to say it in the next uh, episode, but we're crying. Every time we have to ship to Canada, we're crying about it, right? Uh, it's going to cost me $15 to send that guy a Jersey card that's worth $3, <laughs> right? We we're cheap. Or maybe we're just economical, right? But it kind of goes both ways. I mean, at the same time, when we buy something, we're like, well, this card's going to cost me a dollar, and then it's going to cost me $4 to get it shipped to me, right? Because they don't understand how to do good PWE shipping. So there's a lot of these, like, things that are supposed to make shipping your cards better, but really it's just going to increase the cost of shipping for the sender. I mean, I saw another company and they were selling these cardboard envelopes and all you do is put your cards in the cardboard envelope i mean i'm sure you put them in top loaders and then it had like the peel and stick and then you folded it and then it's, and it's i get it it's card like a media mailer yeah like a media mailer again is this necessary when i could just do a top loader penny sleeve top loader team bag i fold a piece of paper around it i put it in a letter sized envelope and then our business size envelope, and then I ship it. And that that's worked 100% of the time. Um, Not for everybody, though, because yeah, a lot okay. of people don't enjoy the whole experience of PWE and wondering if something's going to get there or not. You know, with the whole eBay 
thing where you can send the eBay envelope, which is basically a PWE, yep. but it's going to have tracking along with it. Yep. I mean, we've seen all of the flaws already with how that system is set up and mm -hmm. there's still the case of, well, you don't know if it actually gets there. So I can right. understand pe some people's trepidation, but I also see the other side who wants to spend five, six bucks on shipping for a card that cost them 99 cents. Right. And then if you're shipping somebody cards, who wants to spend extra money on pre-cut cardboard or on specially made envelopes or specially made padded boxes? It just, I got it. it I get you. It's all unnecessary to me. I'll just continue to cut up unwanted cardboard boxes and use that. I will. Are you just this. mad because they thought of this before you did? What to sell people cardboard pre-cut yeah. in certain yes. sizes? Yes, I, that's what it sounds like. Uh, you know what? I'd rather focus on my little T-shirt business. Shop.puckjunk.com. Check out the hockey T-shirts there. Uh, anyway, embedded there's advertisement. The, there's the plug. There's the plug. So there have been a lot of new card supply companies too many to keep track of now in interest of full disclosure i do from time to time blog for bcw supplies i have used their brand of albums and some of their supplies since 1990 sometimes i use ultra pro sometimes i use bcw it depends what it is like i like both of them i do think that with something like top loaders, I'm kind of agnostic about my brand of top loader or my brand of soft sleeves. In fact, I bought from another company, a startup company called Shield Titan. Never heard of them, but they advertised in Facebook. They had top loaders. I needed top loaders. I was able to buy a bunch of top loaders and not pay $8 for 25 of them, which is what they were selling for on eBay. I was seeing, you know, a pack of Ultra Pro 25 top loaders sell for eight, ten dollars. So when I was able to find them in the middle of summer for less than five dollars a pack, I jumped at it. I do think there's room for more card supply companies. We know Ultra Pro, we know BCW Supplies. Sure. I know from time to time I'd see somebody have a brand called Cardboard Gold, and I'd be like, whoa, cardboard gold holders. Okay. Like you never see those. They're they're not even like the RC Cola of card supplies because you do see RC Cola more often than you see cardboard gold card supplies. I think I see cardboard gold more often and not with like team bags and graded cards. Okay. I don't know that I've ever seen top loader. I know they make them. I don't know that I've ever readily seen them, but mostly I see like the graded card sleeves, the plastic bags for graded cards or the team bags. I guess nobody calls them team bags anymore. Now they're called slab bags or graded slab bags now, I guess, because that's... Well, but a team bag won't fit a... Well, the bigger graded one. Graded card. The longer ones. They're the longer ones. Okay, yeah, because I know that I, I personally, I have team bags, I have graded card bags, and then I have the one-touch bags, which are their own size. What were having to Pro Mold? They were around for a while. They had, like, the kangaroo on the... Their little logo? Are they They're still, still around? around. They're a subsidiary oh. of uh, BCW. Oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. The kangaroo holders, as I call them, yeah. yeah. I know so, they made, like, they made like the magnet. I would always see the magnet holders mm -hmm. of theirs. Mm -hmm. Well, BCW makes magnet holders that are not pro-mold brand. I think if we weren't in the, the pandemic and in the place of the hobby where we're at now that was caused by that, you wouldn't see these companies pop up. I mean, you're right. There should be competition because the prices are getting ridiculous. Um, but 
there's a lot of it. I saw it at the card show. Yeah. Uh, at the the uh, sports spectacular show, the Chicago Sports Spectacular. So many dealers with with supplies that were just not anything I've ever seen before. And mm-hmm. I, I looked at a few of them, and I'm like, this doesn't seem any different than any other thing that I've ever put. But I don't know. Like, well, I don't know I'm what kind of plastic right it's now. made of. I don't know any of that. So I'm going to tell you this right now. I was actually talking to a factory in China about purchasing a large quantity of card supplies from them. I didn't know you knew Chinese. No, they were speaking English to me. Oh, um, okay. I didn't talk to them in person. This was an exchange via email. But the thing is, is that there's only like two or three factories that make these sorts of things, and they're the same. And I got to tell you, if they're making BCW or they're making Ultra Pro or they're making BGL, which is Big George LaRock, he has his own line of card supplies. I don't know if you knew that or not or if you remember uh-huh. that. I know he has his own shop, and he's a big collector. I did not know he has his own supplies. Love to have him on the show. So BGL, and the way he markets it is like, George LaRock protected his teammates during his career, and now he's Uh, protecting your cards with BGL card supplies, right? So it's getting a little out of hand, but that's okay, because you know what? They're all the same. These Shield Titan brand soft sleeves and top loaders that I bought, no different from the Ultra Pro ones. I took them out. I compared them. I looked at them. I did this, that. They're the same. They're not going to make them any different. They're not going to like say, oh, these are DFG brand card supplies. Let's use cheaper well, plastic. There's an idea. Mm-hmm. There is an idea. DFG card supply. Wow. I like that idea. Yeah, Thanks, yeah. Al. I'm going to notate that. I mean, look, I'm an older collector. I've tried everything and I know what I like. And I know what fits what I do. So I just kind of stick with what I know. Mm-hmm. Now, have I bought supplies since the prices went higher than my mortgage? No, I have not. I haven't needed to because I have a ton. Right. Because in addition to what I said earlier about my collection that I bought that had a billion cards in it, I kept any of the supplies that were extra that were in mm-hmm. that. And there were plenty, plenty of 5,000 count boxes that were just packed with top loaders. I kept all that. So I'm okay on supplies. Occasionally I have to buy some penny sleeves once in a while, but most of the time I can go to like Meyer or Walmart or somewhere like that. And they have ultra pros hanging by their cards and mm-hmm. I'll grab a couple packs for a mm-hmm. buck or two or whatever they are. So that's usually not a big deal for me, but yeah, I mean, I haven't had to dip into, you know, spending 10 bucks for a pack of top loaders that used to cost three. I haven't had to do that. So I refused to do that. And in fact, that's why I I bought a bunch of these top loaders from this one company, because I knew I was going to be doing shows or at least one show and I needed them and I was able to find them at a decent price. The thing was, is I had to buy 100 packs at once. No, 40 packs at once. You get my still. You get the better prices at that, and you have them because you're going to probably use them at some point. They don't spoil. They're not eggs. Exactly. They're not going bad. But I get your point about the ridiculousness of some things that are superfluous and we have no point in, in using or needing. The, the only thing I could think of that I saw recently was um, there's a company that was posting on Amazon. They were selling high gloss storage boxes. And I just thought that was silly. Like, I thought that was ridiculous. Like, why, why am I going to buy a 3,200 count box from you for $14? Because it's got high gloss paint on it. 
No, I don't care about sense. a white cardboard box. It doesn't matter to me. I can write on it. I can put pictures on it. I can stick stickers on it. I can do whatever I want with it. And after I write on both sides of it, I can flip it inside out and make it into a brown lid and write on that sides. And that's kind of what I do. I don't Was the that. idea of high gloss that you could dry erase what you write on it? I don't think so. I think it's just high gloss because it looks fancy and it comes in multiple colors like red, blue, green. It may have been more marketed towards um, TCG collectors, but at the same time, it's just a 3,200 count box like we're used to having. So I did see one company sell 1600 count shoe boxes. And what was interesting about these is that when you take the lid off, there was a like a, a semicircle cut on the fronts and the backs of both rows so that you can you can get that first card out. Because, you know, if you pack in the cards too tight, it's really hard to take out the cards. So it had a like a cut there, which I thought was a nice new idea. And then they also had dividers put halfway through because, you know, if if it's a 1600 count box and you only put in 800 cards, they fall. Right. So the idea was you don't have to fill. It was almost in quadrants. It was in quadrants instead of just two rows. But then the rows had like a divider put in um, and then it was made out of the sturdier cardboard. And I thought, OK, this is cool. This is where a new player comes in and says, how can we make this thing better? Well, it's it's hard to get the cards out if if you pack them in too tight. We should there should be a, a a circle here, a semicircle, so that you could use your thumb to pull out that top card or grab those first few cards. Awesome idea. Makes well, sense. they're not really useful if the, unless the box is at least eighty percent full, right? It can't be too full, but it can't be too empty either. So then they had these dividers put in, and I thought, okay, that's nice, that's smart. But now these were instead of these being four dollars, five dollars. Now these were like 10 or $11, but then they were also made out of sturdier cardboard. So there's going to be innovation, which is good because you're getting all these new people come in with ideas. There's another company, again, not going to name names, not going to, and I'm not going to really plug them because I don't like everything that they do, but they'll just slab cards for you. They just slab cards for you. They don't grade them. They just throw them in a slab because people like the way the cards look when slab and they'll even like design labels that are like color coordinated with the card or the team colors or whatever. And that's kind of cool. But then they put their own logo on the label as well. And I think that's kind of lame. So yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, you wanted oh. to talk about a convention, though, that's coming up. <laughs> Is that what we're going to call it? A convention? Well, I'll let you do the talking on that. So, so lay Here's it on thing. me. Here's the thing. I just heard about this. I didn't know it was a thing. So... If people have already known about this and, you know, you're all excited about it and you're going and you're going to have the greatest time of your life, great. But something called the Mint Collective, and it's presented by eBay, uh, it's being billed as the most coveted ticket in sports cards and memorabilia. So right off the bat, when you're the most of something, I'm already questioning it. Essentially, this is going to be a big convention of sorts i guess in las vegas i guess kind of like a trade show for all of the investor side of the hobby so kind of like the industry summit but not well the industry summit tends to bring in all of the dealers 
Well, that was the intention was to bring in the dealers and connect the dealers directly with the manufacturers. I think that was the original intention of that. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of spiraled into the who can get a ticket to get whatever free stuff they're giving away convention. So mm -hmm. uh, half the people I knew that used to go don't even bother anymore because it's silly for them. Industry um, Summit? Yeah. Um, because yeah, it's like any, a $600 ticket. Yeah, and the fact that it was used as the announcement place for all of the new things that were going to be coming out. Well, guess what? We have social media and the internet, and all of that stuff gets leaked well ahead of time, and everybody already knows about it. Mm -hmm. And half the time, some of the dealers that go to these shows are probably more experts than the actual manufacturers are or the reps that they send from the manufacturers to talk about the stuff that they're supposedly going to be announcing that was already announced. But I digress. Um, so they're saying that this uh, whole thing is a new kind of event for the hobby by the hobby. They've collaborated with the best businesses and collectors to combine the best bits of a card show, conference, trade night and a party to result in something that no one has ever seen before. So it's truly a first of its kind experience. And it's going to be packed with all of a who's who of people that may ring a bell to some of you out there uh, with speakers and presenters such as DJ Ski or Josh Luber. Or Ken Golden, or Jack Settleman, or Jeff Wilson, all going to be attending this show as, I don't know, presenters? I don't know what this is, but what it appears to me is it's a giant hobby bro convention where everybody is going to go and discuss all of the ways that they can become better influencers, better creators, and better investors in sports cards. Because I can't find anything else on here that explains that that's actually not what it is. They're selling what they call their signature badge mm -hmm. to get into the show. It's $999. So apparently that's going to get you full VIP access to the signature sessions, the collector's carnival, as they're calling it, the marketplace, which I assume is going to be a show floor of some sort, autographed opportunities, some, some gifts, posters, tickets, and you get a discount on a room, I guess, supposedly, based off of that. But they've got a lot of big name sponsors like Beckett and the Expo is actually sponsoring mm -hmm. Leland's Dallas Card Investor, Card Ladder, GTS Distributors. So a lot of big names on that. I, I don't know. This isn't groundbreaking news, apparently. But again, it's the first time hearing about it and seeing anything about it because this isn't my world. This isn't the world I live in. I don't uh, pay attention to this stuff because I'm not a quote-unquote investor mm -hmm. some of the events that they're posting are and i'll read these to you these are their little breakout session things uh, one is called case study becoming cardboard millionaires <sighs> another one the power of the art of cards which i can only assume they're going to be talking about tops 2020 and project 70 the bull case why sports collectibles are legitimate alternative assets so that should uh, pique the interest of all of our listeners that 
believe that cards are not an investment, which they aren't. But anyway, the power of creating authentic content is another one. Data, the hobby, and the future is another one. And the future of NFTs and digital collecting is another one. Uh, so they're going to have like all these little sessions. So, I mean, essentially just like just like a trade show where you have all these little breakout sessions. It's just usually when I go to shows, I'm going to get like continuing education for the license that I have. But it appears to me that all this would give me would be a giant headache. Uh, $1,000 gone from my wallet. Maybe a cool weekend in Vegas. I don't know. Depends. So. If you're more interested in it, find it online because I'm not going to promote it other than what I've talked about. But to wrap wrap a bow around that, I don't understand. <laughs> like, I really don't. My whole thing with about making money is that, like, if you want to make a million dollars, what you do is you write a book that tells people how to make a million dollars. And then you sell that book. And that's how you make the million dollars, by selling people on the dream of making a million dollars. Sure. If I say, hey, Connor McDavid rookie cards are going to fuel your retirement. You should be buying them now, even if they're worth lots of money. Well, then everybody's going to buy them right now, right? It's only good if you buy something that nobody else is thinking about or less people are thinking about. I almost feel like if you're following the trend, you're too late. I mean, that's true in anything. If you're following no, but the I trend, mean, there's still, late. if somebody offered me a Gretzky rookie tomorrow, I would buy it. And I'd probably pay top dollar for it. And it would probably still go up in value because that's just one of those things that's going to go up. Can right? you call that a trend, though? That's not a trend. Well, it is kind of a trend because when that Gretzky card broke a million dollars, it kind of set the trend for even low-grade ones. But you're talking about one of the greatest hockey players that's ever lived whose cards aren't necessarily going to go down. And even if they do, they're not coming down to anywhere below the apex of Mount Olympus. Right. What would be more trendy is I'm going to invest in Morgan Frost cards because I think he's going to hit big and I'm going right. to pump it as much as possible and get every, get all my friends to invest in Morgan Frost cards. And then those values are going to go up and we're going to grade them all and they're going to be selling for $3,000 each. And it's like, this is not a guy to put money in. Right. The greatest hockey player of all time. Yes, that's a guy to put money in. Right. Ovechkin, the guy that's going to take over his record book soon. That's a guy to invest in. If you want to use that term, that's a right. guy. If you want to put money in to make money, that's a guy to put your money in. Mm -hmm. Don't speculate on all these rookies that you don't know are going to hit. That's following a trend. It happens in every single sport. I mean, look at how big people are over the quarterbacks in football. Right. Like, yeah, maybe some of them are good for a minute, but there's not a whole lot of sustainability there. And that's a very volatile position to be in. You know, for every Tom Brady, there's a hundred Brian Leafs. Right. You know, so not to beat a dead horse here, but I found some other ones. The keynote address, a new hobby era, how and why billions are flowing in. The future of the breaking business. That's another one. The future of authentication and grading. Yeah. Becoming cardboard millionaires. That's the one that's cracking me up. That's actually being moderated by uh, Jeremy Lee. That, oh, okay. That particular one. So, yeah. Here, here's what it seems to me to be 
a bunch of breakout sessions hosted by people that have active interest in the thing that they're talking about. Right. I mean, that's exactly what this is. All these names of people that are in here, they either own businesses, they own apps, they own devices, and they own stake in all of the things that they're talking about. So they would benefit greatly that people go and learn about it and buy into it. So there you go. But anyway, that's that's my take. And again, I don't want to keep talking about it because it just seems silly to me. But I'll let other people go find it. And then you can all reach out to us and find us on the various platforms and comment to us and send us messages about it and your opinions. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Good. Let's talk about 2021 Opeachy Platinum Hockey. And it's kind of strange talking about a 2021 product. I mean, we're already at like a quarter of the way through the 21-22 season. It's strange to like buy last year's hockey cards early this year. And it's kind of weird when you see like a guy who's since been traded and you're like, oh, wow, he used to. Yeah, that's right. He used to play on that team. And now he's with this other team. You know what I mean? Like guys who are traded at like the trade deadline or whatever. So I bought a box. You bought two boxes. Bought two at the show, yeah. Real quick, who are your autographs? Uh, that good, huh? Well, I'll tell you, I got Nico. Uh, he sure, <laughs> I can't even remember. Yeah, well, there you go, and that's why they don't put those guys on the sell sheet because nobody that's would remember. The rub. Yeah, you gotta let me think for a second because I don't have the stuff in front of me because again, everything's been packed up, but you gotta give me a second to think. Um, I believe one of them was Calvin Thurkoff, mm-hmm. um, who those of you that aren't Blue Jackets fans are probably like, who? Um, yeah, I think that was one. I'm not sure who the other one was. I want to say it was Gage Quinney from the Golden Knights, but I'm not 100% on that. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't a blow-your-socks-off guy. Let's put it that way. Right. So, Opeachy Platinum in the uh, hobby boxes you get 20 packs in a box you get four cards per pack just selling for about 120 a box so it's like comes out to like six dollars a pack i think that's one problem i've always had with platinum like i've liked the cards um i've always felt that they were a little pricey but they look good but let me get a few thoughts out here i like the way opg platinum hockey cards look but I like the rainbow parallels better, and I wish that was how the standard base card looks. So the base card is almost like a chromium card, and then the rainbow adds like this colorful reflective sheen to like the background. And I mean, when you just hold two of them up side by side, there's like no competition which one is the nicer looking card. Sure, the rainbow takes the light better, like a refractor. Right, so, the okay, and I get it, and that has to be like, super rare but the thing is is that opeachy platinum probably more than any set does it to death with the parallels because you have rainbow parallels you have sunset parallels you have matte pink blue surge red surge neon yellow surge aquamarine violet pixels yellow tracks red prism arctic breeze cosmic seismic gold orange checkers emerald surge and golden treasures which are numbered one out of one so that's a lot of parallels. Can we maybe yeah, like six more than last year? Can we like dump the base card design 
and then upgrade it to the rainbow parallel since we have like 80 other parallel versions of the same card. Talk about chasing the rainbow. I mean, what's that, 16? 16, counting the golden treasures, which are one of one. Then you have the retro cards, which are its own separate thing. But then even the retro, you have rainbow, blue rainbow, purple hound's tooth, and then the one of one golden treasures. There's a lot of inserts. There's best in the world, photo driven, sweet selections, retro, which I already mentioned. And then two unannounced uh, insert sets. One is called Pond Hockey, and the other one is called Premier Retro. So I like this set. Here's what I like about the set. I like the way the cards look. They have a nice feel to them. They're like a thicker, heavier card. They have up to 10 years of stats on the back, which is cool. I do like the ways uh, some of these uh, parallels look. Like the sunset parallels are really nice. I think it's maybe a little lazy to use the exact same design as the regular OPG set because... It's just like an upgraded version of OPG, but it's like a smaller selection of players. But I guess that's okay, too, because, I mean, Tops would do that, I believe, with their hockey sets back in the early 2000s. And I get that you want to have some continuity between this is the OPG set and this is the OPG Platinum set. And you go, oh, okay, well, these are Chromium cards. They look nicer, but they have the same design. So you get a little bit of consistency I struggle with what is really the difference between an Opeachy Platinum card and an Allure card because they're both the same type of card. They're that like chromium type of card front and then they have like the nice glossy backs with like full color and like they're nice looking cards, but I guess I would collect one or the other. I think it'd be kind of repetitive to collect both of them if that makes sense. Maybe. It just depends on if you're like a big time player collector. Because if you are, then you can jump into Allure and grab yourself another set of base parallels with Yellow Taxi and Leopard and NHL Shield and Black Rainbow and Steel and Blue China and Green Quartz and Purple Diamonds and uh, Orange Horseshoes and Pink Unicorn Horns and... I don't know, I'm making all that up, but you Blue get moons, my point. green clovers, yes, purple horseshoes, exactly. pink hearts, and we've just named yes. all the Lucky Charms colors. Right, and and all of that is in there. I mean, I liked Allure the first year. I was hoping the design would be a little different for t- the 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't buy any Allure, so I'm not really... I can't speak firsthand of in of what's in there. I, I, I do like some of their insert cards. I think that some of the inserts are nice there. Mm-hmm. But from platinum standpoint, I would take platinum over Allure myself. Same. Just because I view it as kind of an extension of Opeachy, and I build Opeachy the base set every year. And since these look identical to those, but just with the gloss, I mean, it's the closest thing we have to getting Tops or Opeachy from back in the day, and then also collecting the Chrome. Right. Because it's, I mean, that's really what this what this boils down to. So. And I do like a lot of the backgrounds um, parallel, especially the cosmic. I thought the cosmic are pretty cool. I mean, like this this one that's all and the aquamarine are good too. I wish the aquamarine were lower a lower serial number than what they yeah because they look cool. Well, like the prisms and the pixels and the the sunsets. I mean, 
anything where it's like more reflective and colorful, those are the ones that I really respond to. And I guess that's the kind of thing. If you're paying $6 for four cards, if you think about it, $6 a pack, and you're getting four cards in a pack. And when the cards are just like these non, like they're shiny, but they don't have like that nice colorful sheen to them. I think that's kind of a bummer for like a buck, buck 50 a card. You know what I mean? Like, so you're saying dump the base and make the, make the rainbow be the base. Yeah, I mean, I would like, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like the violet pixels might be a little annoying as like the base design. Just one of the ones that's a little more colorful that has a little bit more of the reflective, you know, that refractor type quality to it. For a buck fifty a card, make them like that. Make them all like that, you know. Just make the base card like, wow. Like, a couple years ago, I put together a set of Upper Deck Black, which had kind of an over-the-top design. It was one of those uh, sets that was like 150 a box, and you got like one base card, one autograph card, one jersey card, one, um, I, I, I forget, it was like maybe, I, I, I'll, I, I did a box break of it a couple years ago, but the base cards in that were like numbered out of 299 and they looked so freaking cool. I tracked down the whole set. The whole set was like 40 cards or something. But I mean, I, I looked at that and I said, wow, that's a set that I want to build. And yeah, it's probably going to cost me at least five bucks a card or more, depending who the player was, because they were numbered out of 299. But to me, that was worth it. And if like the whole set looked like one of these parallel sets, I would want to track them down. I mean, I'm half tempted to try to build a rainbow parallel set, but I know that's going to be a pain to do because you only get like, uh, what did I get here? In my box, I got four rainbow foils out of 20 packs, which is what you're supposed to get according to the odds. You know, that's tough to build a 200 card set when you only get four in a box. Plus 50 of them are short printed too. Short printed in addition to the printing. Oh, see, yeah, so that kind of takes the fun out of it. I should definitely build, uh, I should probably chase all the Patrick Kane ones, uh, Kane Taves, you know, just because I think that's one that I could probably try to get all of. Build a full rainbow? I'm going to say chase the rainbow. Okay. One of our listeners, Mark so Kruger. Good as not to sue us. Mark Kruger from New, uh, not Newfoundland, from Newmarket, Ontario, put on our Facebook page, he explained that the drug reference we were thinking of was Chase the Dragon, which had to do with smoking, I guess, heroin or something. What, what, did, we, what did we call it? Chasing the Rainbow. Chasing the Rainbow, yeah. Well, but, but see, the thing is, is it's not a drug reference, so we could totally call collecting all 19 different parallel versions of the same card Chasing the Rainbow. Like I said, as long as Skittles doesn't sue us. No, because that's Tasting the Rainbow. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we are not tasting the rainbow. We are chasing the rainbow when you want to get all 16 different color varieties of the same hockey card. Well, I guess you could taste your cards. Uh, there you go. There's an idea. So make each of the different um, colors a different flavor mm-hmm. so you could actually taste them. Kind of like the old scratch and sniff stickers. Mm-hmm. Like these you can actually taste. So like the the rainbow one would taste like like rainbow cake and the sunset one would taste like burnt hair and the snozberries would taste like snozberries. I mean, it would work. I think here's the other thing too. 
<clears throat> back, back to what we were saying. I would also take Platinum over Allure simply for the fact that these are hard signed autographs. Yes. And Allure sticker. And it's still sticker. So even though they're similar, and this is something I don't understand, how the price point on Allure is still higher than a Peachy Platinum when you got sticker autos versus hard signed ones. You would think the hard signed product would be more, but I don't know. Every day I don't understand the hobby more and more, so I guess that's not for me to understand. But what do you think of the inserts? Like there's that best of the world. Did you get any like the best of the world or the photo driven inserts out of your yes so i got one sweet selection one best in the world one photo driven and then my uh, nico hersher was a uh, photo driven autograph so best of the world i got uh, Sidney crosby which is fitting to say best in the world and then have crosby's picture i mean and i had that i had that in one of my boxes too can't argue with that assessment uh the sweet selection i got was liam foodie who unfortunately his name is not spelled F-O-O-D-I-E. It's F-O-U-D-Y, but he's like my new favorite Columbus Blue Jackets player just because he has a great last name, Foodie. I mean, it's an okay insert. The photo-driven is okay. It's kind of a cool design. Kind of reminds me of like uh, like 93-94 score did some season highlight cards that looked like a film frame that had the sprocket holes on the top and the bottom. And I studied photography for a couple of years. And I actually remembered like developing my own film and like pulling my own prints with the negatives and stuff. So I see something like this and I think it's cool. I think it's maybe lost on the newer generation who, you know, never bought a roll of Kodak film and had to go get it developed at Walgreens and wait a week, et cetera, et cetera. For the most part, I think the inserts are okay. I think I like, I definitely like the uh, parallels better than the inserts. Like, usually I'm like, oh, the parallels are just the same thing, but glossier or with a gold stripe or whatever. I, like I said, the parallels are nice enough that I wish they were the actual cards. Well, here's the thing. That photo-driven Nico Heischer that you got, that autograph one. Yep. And I know you don't think that's like a big one or anything, but... The signature photo drivens were one out of eight hundred. Oh, I should maybe and I should put this in a top loader then. The, the Heisher is a Group B one, so it's one out of like sixteen hundred. Oh, okay. Then I need to put this in a uh, in a one touch. Yeah, so it's. I mean, I don't know about one touch, but I mean that's a pretty good pull. That rather than a base autograph, I mean it's better than that. It's not like a Crosby or a Matthews, which were like one out of sixty six thousand. Right. But. That's still decent, I think. Both of my autos that I pulled out of each box, they were rookie autos, and they were two not not named players. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I, but, but it was fine. I mean, I'm going to build the set. I always do. I'll put it together somehow, some way. I haven't made a list of what I need yet. 200 cards in the set. 1 through 150 are veterans. 151 through 200 are rookies. How do you find... You having collected OP cheap platinum and having also collected upper deck series one, series two. How do you find the rookie card prices stack up in OP cheap platinum versus other sets? Stack Maybe. up. They're night and day. I mean, marquee rookies in OP and OP platinum are largely ignored. Mm. So, unless you get one of the super rare parallels, right? But overall, if you're just looking base, just a base raw 
OPG platinum marquee rookie of let's say Lafreniere, right? Versus a base raw Lafreniere young gun. I mean, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. You're, you're talking. I mean, I'm going to estimate here, but I'm going to talk. I'm going to say an 80 percent difference right. between the prices at least. I think that's probably a safe bet. Now, maybe some of the other stars might be not stars, but some of the other rookies might be closer, like guys that people don't don't have a lot of pull, you know, hobby pull. But somebody like that, uh, Bowen Byram has gotten a lot of a lot more attention. You know, Josh Norris has gotten more attention. Shane, Shane Bowers has gotten more attention. You know, guys like that. Obviously, the Kaprizov. You know, those you're going to pay more for, but mm-hmm. it's not going to be a huge dollar amount. And it never it never has been. Opeechee is always like the forgotten set. So you get well, Opeechee rookies, and you, you can go you can, you can go before this and look at some of the other sets, like the MVP sets back in the day or the victory sets. Go back to 0506. Look at the Crosby and Ovechkin rookies. You can get those in MVP and victory, and dare I say even the Parkhurst ones, for pretty cheap, relatively speaking. Right. Where do these fit? You always talk about the gambit, running the gambit, even though it's running the gambit. R- running the gambit, as you say. If you have the cup is here at the top, and we'd agree that MVP rookies would be the very bottom, right? MVP, victory, Opeechee, marquee rookies. Where do platinum I mean, marquee I mean, we're, rookies, if, yeah, where do those fit in? If we're talking modern, like the ultra-modern stuff that's right now. Yes. You, sure, you could put the cup at the top. I would probably put the SPRPAs below that. Yep. Uh, maybe the rookie premieres, if they are, if they exist the year that, that we're talking about, those would probably fall next in line to there, followed mm-hmm. by the young guns. I would put it at the top of the the top of the bottom. Maybe there's the bottom of the There's a very big middle. drop after young guns. Oh, there's a huge drop. Because, like, I mean, for instance, like, I, th- I look at, like, okay, the National. I didn't have a, an Alexei Lafreniere young gun to sell. And actually, though, I sold every Lafreniere card I had for sale, I sold at that show. But there, was some, there were only, like, $5. They were like, sure. like literally just it was a five it was a low end five dollar opichi marquee rookie that was in upper deck series two and like it was very low end right like you had a lot of low end stuff and I I, I want this stuff to be it, it's much nicer than the low end stuff but I'm just wondering if like this Ilya Sorokin just to give you like an example at the show that I was most recently at I sold his young gun for twenty dollars sure. And Sorokin's uh, a good goalie. He's a good goalie. But, see, these look nicer than Young Guns, I think. Uh, but the demand isn't go, the same. Maybe, but the uh, demand is nowhere near the same. You are correct. Right. I guess that's the thing, is that, like, I feel like these cards should be given a little more respect than what they get in the secondary market. Should they? Yes. Will they be? No. And if the hobby continues on this path or trajects higher... It'll push further and further behind because people are going to always look for the ultra premium and what's hot. I mean, look how many people came up to you. You could tell right away they aren't hockey collectors. Mm-hmm. But you got any Ovechkin young guns? You got any Crosby young guns? You got any McDavid young guns? They don't want anything else. They don't want to talk about anything else. They don't want to look at anything else. They want to know if you have those. 
And if you don't, they're walking away because they don't know anything else. They were told by somebody somewhere that young guns are what they need to collect. Right. And, you know, that's where they are. People that have been in the hobby and do collect everything else, they know. The money's in the young guns. If I'm looking to sell or, or whatever, then that's what I probably need to do. But otherwise, are these cards any less collectible? I don't think so. I think they're just as collectible. And like you said, sometimes they look even nicer than the young guns do. Some of the young guns designs over the years have been atrocious. Mm-hmm. Um, but are they going to get that much push? No. If you end up with a bunch of like mega superstar players, sure. I could see those floating around the fringe range of 20, 30 bucks at some mm-hmm. point for a rookie card. Right. But at the same time, if you're, if you're Opeachy platinum rookies, 30 bucks, your young gun rookie is probably well over a hundred. Yes. So is it a disconnect? Maybe. Should it be? I don't, I don't know. Should there be that big of a, a parody between that product? I, I mean, relatively speaking, I don't know. You it's know, just odd because in the nineties, a baseball or a hockey card like this would usually be more sought after, but now that's not the case so much anymore. Because it's just become so commonplace. Yeah. And I mean, look, the young guns aren't, isn't going to go away. No. And if it did, I don't even know that the marquee rookies from OPG would slide into the, that spot. No. Like I said, if I were to, to rank them in all of the sets that come out each and every year, I'd put it at the top of the bottom or the bottom of the middle. And that's the thing. The bottom of the middle. Yeah. The, the middle is very small. Yeah. The bottom, yeah, it is. The bottom's pretty, pretty big and the top's pretty big, but the middle's pretty small. The top's that big. I, I think the top's kind of big. Cup, SPA, uh, Young Guns would be the bottom of the top. Yeah. And like I said, I'd put, I'd probably put Premier up there too. You know, if they make it, they're not doing ice. So there won't be. Oh, Premier yeah. I forget about they, Premier. Yeah, they won't put it in unless they throw it in another product. I mean, mm-hmm. the ice premiere won't be out because there's no ice. So, mm-hmm. um, but those tend to pull a lot. You know, trilogy premieres, those hardly get anything. And you would yeah, think a product look- like trilogy that's, you know, 150, 200 bucks a box sometimes would garner more interest. Well, no demand except there for player collectors. Yeah, there isn't a lot of demand. Now, some of the rare ones, like they've been doing the last few years, like the three different versions, like level one, level two, level three. Yep. You know, the level three ones, especially the last two, three years where players have been writing little sayings and inscriptions on them. Yep. Those tend to get more because they're more rare. Mm-hmm. But again, it takes something in addition to the card itself to get people interested. And that's adding the little thing. I mean, I remember the one year, it was probably five or six years ago where they had the set where the rookies were putting their Twitter handles mm-hmm. on the on their cards under their signature. And those, you know, people went gaga over those. I mean, I was like, okay, kind of cool, sort of. Those were uh, the Panini social signatures. Was that what it was? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I want to say when we talked about the young guns and how there's just such the demand for those every year, the one thing that I thought would, Honestly, that I thought was going to challenge the young guns. You know what it was? What's that? Think back about 10 years. To challenge the young guns? Yeah. I'm going to guess some Panini product. Yes. 
to challenge the young guns. Well, it definitely wouldn't have been the hot rookies. Uh, maybe the prism rookies. Rated rookies. Rated rookies. They didn't spill that over into hockey, though. Well, they did, but but hear me out on this. Rated rookies has as much, what's the word I'm looking for? Not clout. Um, I was going to say clout, but. Gravitas. Oh, um, there's a good word. Cultural collateral. Sure. I mean. I like that one. Look, there are certain card collecting terms you could put on a t-shirt and people would understand, right? Like if you saw Rated Rookie, Young Gun, Diamond King, right? Like you you hear these things and you know what they are, right? Right. You know what a Diamond King is. Sure. You know what a uh, what a Rated Rookie is. You know what a Young Gun is. You would know, I mean, we could think of a couple of other ones, right? But I thought that Rated Rookies was going to challenge. I thought that if Panini had done their Donruss set right, because they did have rated rookies in 10-11 Donruss. They had 50 rated rookies, but they never did a Series 2, so it didn't really matter because you didn't get a lot of the guys that debuted later on in the season. I mean, you did have um, Taylor Hall. That was, what, 10-11? So you had uh, Tyler yeah. Sagan and Taylor Sagan Hall. Sagan and Taylor Hall, yeah. You know, right. I totally... When I was like, you, they didn't bring that up. Yeah, I remember those now. Looking at them, it was the way the rated rookie was put onto the card. It was melted into the border design. Yeah, and it was just inconspicuous. Yeah, so it was. you really look at the card and you're like, yeah, it's a rookie. Oh, there's the logo. It didn't do it for me, and I don't think it did it for a lot of people. But and again, like you said, dead Taylor Hall and Tyler Sagan. So it's not, it's not a knock your socks off rookie class well no but the thing is is that they didn't do a series two so no, they it ended with just 50 and then they didn't bring it back the next year i don't think there was donruss next year if i remember correctly that was the only year of donruss no, that's the only year they did donruss they did uh pinnacle they did pinnacle two years but then that died they did score every year and they, then did, they did score like, every year right and all their other sets yeah, you know, we should do a 10-year moratorium on uh, Panini. I don't think we've ever done a show like that. And it has been 10 years since their 10-11, more than 10 years now. So that might be that might be a, a good topic for a future show. I don't know that we've ever devoted a show to Panini. I don't know if I could stomach that. Well, but I mean, I think it's good to look <laughs> back. You look back a year later, you're like, ah, that stuff's garbage. It's the Oasis song, Don't Look Back in Anger. Right. But you look back 10 years later, it's kind of like the dust is settled. And then you kind of, it, it's it's a better time to be a little more reflective. And there were a lot of sets that I liked that Panini put out. I mean, Prism being one of them. I Prism liked the, was good. I liked the Elite. I thought those were good. I liked Certified. But, so. you know, Prism is really no better than these Premier cards, really. They're the same. They're more or less the same. I mean, same same kind of printing technology, I think. Same material. You know, they had their rainbow versions. They called them prism versions. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, it's parallel to that. But like I said, it, it's just like Chrome. Not having a Chrome product, this is our Chrome. This is mm -hmm. what we get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so i got to really embrace that because I do like these types of cards. I like Skybox Metal. I like these. Allure's okay. I think I'm just going to stick with Skybox Metal and Opeachy Platinum. And then after that, I think I'm getting a little bit of chrome fatigue or whatever. I, I know the metal cards are not actually chrome. They're they're foil board, but still, you get my point. 
Chromium fatigue. That should go into the collector's dictionary. Chromium fatigue. Chromium fatigue. Right. Yes. And you just have too much. I remember like in the 90s when I worked at a comic book store, every other comic book that was coming out would do like a chromium cover that looked like one of these cards, you know? And a lot of people who bought comic books, they got tired of it really quick because they're like, hey, you know, comic books are like $1.50, $1.75, maybe $1.95. And now this issue is $3.99. And then when every other comic you're buying is $4 instead of $2, it adds up quickly. And then it was terrible for the dealers because they were paying more money for these comics because they cost more money. And then you had a lot of comic collectors who just looked and said, all right, I don't really need to have another Chrome comic in my collection. And then there would just be a glut of them on the shelves because nobody wanted them anymore. So it does happen in other industries. I don't know if it was called chrome fatigue, chromium fatigue, but I did witness this in, in comic books, uh, you know, 30-ish years ago. Yeah. Into what you were saying about, you know, liking the product. I, I mean, I like platinum. I like it usually every year. Do I like all the parallels and them adding six more? Not really. I wish they would stick with nine. That way, if you can collect the nine, you can put them in a page, and there they all are. Love That it. would make sense. That'd Love that idea. But, you know, they're not going to do that because they know all the people that are chasing the rainbow are going to go after m more cards. My gripe with this card, and or with this set, and it, it's kind of more of a superficial thing. There are lots of, I don't know what they're calling them. I don't know if they're buyback car autos or not mm -hmm. but they stuck a lot of previous year product um they call them platinum update autographs yes yeah, really, i saw that really all they are, are just the cards from the old sets because it brings up a couple questions and we probably don't need to discuss it today but you know number one is why weren't these cards put in the original product mm -hmm. a as part of the pack out and b do you want to be getting cards from 16, 17, 18, 19 in a 20 product or 21 product? Or do you want to be getting new stuff? I mean, do you really want to pull here? I'm going to be facetious, but do you want to pull a no name rookie card from this year? Or do you want to pull a no name rookie card from four years ago? That's been out of the league for three years. Right. And a lot of people were complaining, have complained about that. And I've seen that complaint over and over again. All I can really say to that is, I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's cool, but at the same time, the checklists are all out there. Mm -hmm. They were out there beforehand. People knew that these were in there. Don't buy it if you don't want to run the risk of having that. And I've seen a lot of people break cases and half the autos were these update autographs. So, uh, I mean, there are cool ones yeah, in there, I could... but, you know, if you pull a... A 1920 rookie auto of Guillaume Brisebois. You're probably going to be pretty pissed, I think. Right. Unless you're a Canucks fan or Brisebois's mom. I don't know. That's just me. Or Nikita Gusa, for instance. That's another big one from 1920, yeah. who was supposed to be like the guy and is not. So that's neither here nor there that's just one superficial thing but i like the design i like the collation of it i mean two boxes i don't think i got any doubles out of two boxes mm -hmm. so i was happy about that just cut back on the parallels maybe i don't know i know yeah that's all i would suggest 
All right. Well, I think that's it on my end. Anything else you want to add before we wrap this one up? Other, other than uh, be on the lookout for uh, DFG card supplies. We'll be hitting hitting a store near you very soon. I'm just kidding. It won't be. Well, but I'll be hitting a uh, card show soon. So I'm going to be at the Bridgeview Card Show and Autograph Signing Sunday, December 12th, 2021. I believe the show is 9 to 3. That is in uh, Bridgeview, Illinois, just a bit south of Chicago. I will put a link to it in the show notes uh, beneath this uh, podcast. Uh, depending where you're listening, if you're listening on iTunes, I always, iTunes or any of the podcast providers, I always have a link to where you could find the show notes if you're listening to this through the Puck Junk website. If you scroll down a little bit, that's where I post the show notes and links. So that's it then. I hope you guys can um, come hang out at that card show on the 12th. But until then, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please like, please subscribe, please spread the word. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.